Before I open in prayer this morning, I want to give a brief word of explanation. Uh, My topic this morning is on the issue of life, and we'll be looking at that through the lens of abortion. And you might ask yourself, why are we doing this? Why are we speaking on this subject? Over the last few months, it's become an increased burden upon my heart and the hearts of many that are in this room to do something. And previously, I had not done much, if anything at all. I had gone to maybe a yearly gala. I may have uh, gone to a rally or held a sign or thought about it every once in a while. But it was certainly not a, a burden on my heart as it is today. And so that burden led to conversations. And conversations led to prayer, and prayer led to more conversations, and those conversations led to plans and and meetings, which has brought us to the point today where, as church leadership, we would like to present to you, which I will do at the end of this, how we as leaders believe that FCF should be involved in the fight for life. This will be a weighty topic, I'm afraid, and there are... If you ask preachers how they prepare, every person prepares differently. And mine's still kind of in development as a young preacher. But normally it goes something like this. Read, 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 read the scripture. Study. Think about it. Don't look at commentaries. Don't read anything on the internet. See what the Lord would have to say. Cross-reference. And then somewhere Friday evening to Saturday evening, I read other things. And then Saturday evening to Sunday morning, I write. And it wasn't till this morning that I began writing because this topic is tough. This is a weighty issue of how to balance this with the gospel. And parents, I want you to know that there is nothing I will be showing today or talking about today that would be inappropriate for little ears. There may be times and places for that, and this is not the time nor the place today. I also want to address that it would be very, very unusual that there is not someone in this room under the sound of my voice that has not either been involved in an abortion or had an abortion. And I want you to know today that my speaking on this topic is in no way judging or condemning you. You know what you did is wrong. And I want you to know that there is life and there is forgiveness and there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is life, there's forgiveness, and there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have never told anybody about that and you want to discuss with someone, there are women in this congregation who can help you that have been trained that can do that. Speak to Heidi Baird. Speak to Yvonne Welch. Talk to these ladies if you would desire to work through that. I know this, if you have been involved with that, if you are a man who has been involved in this, this will be a hard topic for you today. And I know that God will give grace. It is not my desire this morning in the least to motivate you to action by stats, although I will give some, or historical references, although I will give some of those as well. I simply desire to present to you today the Word of God, and I trust that it will accomplish its purpose, namely that it will give glory to God. It will encourage us and motivate us to live for Him. So with that explanation, let us pray. God, we come now to an issue that I believe clearly from Scripture is at your heart. It is an issue of our day. We confront it on a daily basis. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak this morning. You would do a work. You give me grace and strength to speak your words and guard my tongue from speaking anything that would be of my own, out of my own pride, my own selfish gain. Pray, Lord, that you would be with the flock as we would go through this. And we trust, Lord, that you will use this, the preaching of your word, to draw souls to yourself, to encourage us, and that you would gain all the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In March of this year, the Financial Times reported the following statistics issued by the Chinese government. Since implementation of their forced abortion policy in 1971, The Chinese government reports their doctors have slaughtered 336 million little ones. That's 8 million babies per year. Doing the math, that is one murdered baby every four seconds nonstop for 41 years. For 40 years. 
If you count the birth control measures currently in place in China, the numbers could be estimated as high as 2 billion, having been murdered since 1971. 2 billion. Since January 22nd, 1973, Roe v. Wade, 50 million have been killed in America. In Bear County alone, in 2011, 7,400 children were murdered in the womb, not including those taken by the morning after pill and other abortifacient drugs. In 2012, through the increased work of crisis pregnancy centers, those numbers increased work to crisis pregnancy centers, those numbers have been decreased to 6,900. Planned Parenthood themselves say that by the age of 41, one out of every three women in America will have had an abortion. The estimated, there is an estimated number of 6 million that were killed by the hands of Nazi Germany during the Holocaust of World War II. And I, to not trivialize in any way those who died in World War II underneath the hands of Nazi Germany, would have to say that to even compare Nazi Germany or the Holocaust of the Jews in World War II to the abortion, to the abortion issue would be to trivialize the lives of the little ones. It is in no way close, the analogy. Six million to over two billion potentially worldwide. I believe that if Christ was to not come in the coming years and I was to, by God's grace, see the lives of my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, walk in the ways of the Lord, I believe that the issue of our day in the past 40 years will be this issue, the issue of abortion and the taking of life. And that my great-grandchildren will ask me, great-grandpa, how could this be? The murder over one million children per year? Great-grandpa, what did you do to stop it? There are five reasons I believe that the church stands guilty on abortion. These are not specifically my five reasons. I'd have to give credit where credit is due. R.C. Sproul Jr. originally came up with this list. I've modified it and changed it some, but he certainly was the original author of it. First, I think the reason that we are guilty is that we have largely been silent on the issue of fornication. The issue of pornography runs rampant in the Church of America. It runs rampant in probably this church. And we would be fools to not face that. And because we rarely speak about it, we rarely address it in the home or in the church. These things breed abortion issues. And we've been largely silent. Second, the church long ago began to look at our annual Holocaust as a political issue, a social problem. We soothe ourselves with the lie that voting Republican, going to a local gala each year and writing a check is enough. I do not minimize the fact that if you go to a gala or write a check or vote, that you're not doing something. But the question is, oftentimes, we do that to soothe our consciences, just like a mother who murders her baby says, well, it was just a mass of tissue. Third, we don't really care, the church, because it's the minorities, the poor, the welfare citizens people who don't work and we pay for their ability to do so that normally take their lives of the unborn. So they're getting an abortion, which is horrible, but it sort of serves them right. This is kind of the thought of the church. sort of serves them right to have that guilt. We don't care about abortion because it's their babies rather than our own. But let's flip that on its head. If a million white, middle-class, homeschooled babies were being murdered each year, I suspect we'd speak out like never before. Fourth, the church shares the world's fundamental posture towards children. In both instances, we see children as burdens, whereas God calls them blessings, according to Psalm 127. We have contributed to the ethos that says children are to be avoided, even if we are unwilling to murder our own in pursuit of that goal. And as a father who has three under the age of four and one on the way, I can tell you that I've had Many people tell me in the last couple months or last couple weeks since the knowing of my child, wow, we only have two. You guys are crazy. And I would say, yeah, we are crazy. Four under four is crazy. And yet we don't, we rejoice in that and then you rejoice in life. And what they're saying is those four are getting in the way of all sorts of things. And so they may not take life, 
but it's the same mentality. This life's getting in the way, and so you shouldn't have children because that would allow you to do some things, whereas the other side would say, we'll just kill the child in allowing us to do some things. They're not very far apart. Fifth, we are willing to murder our own the Alan Guttmacher Institute is a nonprofit corporation for reproductive health research and policy analysis. The institute is also a public education arm of Planned Parenthood. It reports that one in six women who have had abortions are evangelical Christians. And that's why I said at the beginning that it would be very unusual that there would not be a woman in this building or a man in this building that have not had had or been involved with an abortion. Based on these statistics, 5.6 million women in our churches have chosen abortion as a way out of unwanted pregnancy. Each year, 1.5 million American women have an abortion. This means 250,000 evangelical Christian women could choose to abort a child in 2013. Since the passage of Roe v. Wade, that's 8 million of our own children. And there is certainly blood on our hands, very clearly. The Bible does not use the word abortion, but it's crystal clear, and it makes a crystal clear case against abortion. There are so very many scriptures I could go to this morning, and we could spend all day going from Genesis to Revelation on these scriptures. But for the sake of time, I'm only going to go to a few of them, and I'm going to trust that you will be a Berean and go home and search the scriptures yourself. So let's go to scripture. Let's start with Genesis. And we're going to look at a couple categories of scripture. I'm going to look at uh, the category of life being given by God in some three or four scriptures there. I'm going to be looking at life beginning at conception. That's a huge issue among the Christian church. That does life really begin at conception? Scripture speaks to this. And then some commands, some scriptural commands that we are to be involved in this fight for life. Genesis 1. Verse 27, we could spend again all day, but we're going to hit a few of them. At at the core of the issue of abortion is the question is, what is a human being? What is a human being? Is it a tissue? Is it tissue? Is it a mass? Is it, what is it? That's the core of the question. Genesis 127 addresses this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Imagio Deo. We are made in the image of God, and we are his image bearers. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And John Piper rightly says, In other words, when you murder a human, you attack God who makes every human in his image. There's currently a professor at Princeton University, currently as of this day, Peter Singer, who says this, The life of an adult pig, P-I-G, deserves protection more than that of a newborn human baby. Notice he didn't say fetus. He said newborn, meaning out of the womb, human baby. And that parents should be free to kill their young children already born if they deem them unacceptably disabled. Piper addresses that by rightfully saying the reason he is wrong is that the human baby is created in the image of God and the pig is not. This is an issue that we must face. That the value of human life lies in the very fact that we are made in the image of God. This is also a large issue because almost everything of your worldview flows out of who is God and who is man. Go to, the, go to Job 10. Job 10, verse 8 through 12. Your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. This is Job pleading to God. Remember that you have made me like clay, and you will return me to the dust. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh, 
and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love and your care has preserved my spirit. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. What an amazing creation is the human body. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 6 and 12. What is a human being designed to do? We would know that the answer would be to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isaiah 43, 6 through 10. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God hates the destruction of his image bearers, whether at the smallest form or at a fully grown form. He hates that. Look at the Ten Commandments. It is very clear that he hates the destruction of his innocent image bearers or even his image image bearers that are not small. He outlines them. He thinks that it is wicked. Life is given by God. Life begins at conception. Psalm 139. A verse we're all familiar with. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. This is David speaking. To get context, let's go to 11. What he's really what he's bringing into this 12 through 16, which is 13 through 16, which is what we normally look at when it comes to life is uh, begins at conception in this chapter. Notice what David's trying to do. He's basically saying there is no place I cannot go where God is not there. And we begin in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not too dark for you. To you, the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. It has been said, and I believe rightly so, that in the womb there is not just a child, there are two people. One being the child, and two being the master craftsman, forming and knitting and shaping and creating this image bearer. Jeremiah one five. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Let's go to one more passage. And life begins at conception. And then a few thoughts. Luke 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 34. An angel has come to Mary. In verse 30, he tells her to not be afraid, but she will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. Mary, in verse 34, asks, how can this be since I am a virgin? Verse 35, 
And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, verse 39, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, let's look at a timeline here. We have the angel coming to Mary. Then Mary goes to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Now, it... it seems obvious there they didn't live too far too far apart meaning in in distance from one another that elizabeth had kept this quietly for a period of time at least five months until mary knew about it in the sixth month well from the time that mary has her this angel come to her and she conceives to the point that she visits elizabeth if we stretch the numbers and we say it took her 12 days to walk that far, which it would not have taken anywhere near that. Then the child within her that had been conceived had not even been implanted in the womb yet. It had just been conceived. The period of time between conception and the implantation. Can you, do you see that life begins at conception if the very Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the womb was referenced to as being a human being, a life, a child, fruit of the womb, when it was not even 12 days old. And this is the issue that faces most Christians today. When does the life really begin? Is it on the 12th day? Is it on the first day when conception happens? It is clear in Scripture that life begins at conception. What are some commands? We've got... Life given by God, life begins at conception, but we believe these things. What are, why, why do we talk about this? Is there something we should act, actually do about it? Yes, it is clear in Scripture that we are to be involved in the fight for life. Let's begin with Psalm 82. I'm going to look at three passages, and I ask you to go to those passages in your Bible. If you do not have a Bible, please take one from the pew in front of you. I want you to see these. Psalm 82. This is the Lord speaking. It's a Psalm of Asaph, but God is speaking at the beginning here. Psalm 82, 1 through 4. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And this is him, God, saying, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. And is there anything less weak than the life of the unborn? Less helpless? And I would, if you look at the statistics, it is clear that most of these children are fatherless. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That is not a clear proclamation to us to be involved for the fight for life. Then let's go to two more scriptures that continue to prove this. Psalm 24, Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12, verse 10 through 12. If you faint in the day of adversity, 
your strength is small. And Christians, we have a day of adversity. Not only in this issue, but upon the home, upon our own individual lives. There is persecution that is taking place in America. It has yet to go very physical, but it is certainly to a verbal, a financial, um, many different, it is in many different forms today. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Notice 11 and 12, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know. Does, this, does, he, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? We cannot say, I didn't know it was happening. You kidding me? There's somebody in our church, my neighbor, my work, my coworker. I didn't know it was going on. No, we do know what is going on. And we cannot say this. We cannot say that it didn't, we did not know about it. We must do something. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Verses 1 through 3. This is speaking about the coming of the Lord. But we know that we are. To mimic his actions. We cannot do all of these things in Isaiah 61 through 1 and 1 through 3. But certainly many of them we can. And we can certainly do them on a less on a smaller scale. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. We can certainly do this. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. We can certainly do that. To proclaim liberty to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And we'll come back to this passage. But we see clearly that we are to be involved for a purpose. The purpose being discipleship making for God's glory. You see that in the second half of verse 3. Called, they, they may be called oaks of righteousness. God plants, but we, can be, we can, are used in that process that he may be glorified. Or my Bible would say, or that he may display his beauty to the nations. That the world may know that he is Lord. We have gone through life begins is given by God. Life begins at conception. We see clearly from scripture that we are commanded to be involved and to begin to close this out. I want to look at what may possibly be the defining attitude that we must have in order to proceed in the fight for life. If we see clearly we are to be involved, we've got to have a attitude that will carry us through more than just an emotional. Wow, that's horrible. Wow, what an amazing statistic. Wow, this is happening in my local community. Wow, I want to be involved. There has to be something deeper than this, and it has to be an attitude of the heart. So we're going to go through some scriptures here. And stay with me. We're going to, we're going to trace through two or three and, and come to a point of, of how they all come together. No need to turn with me to this one. Go to, go to Romans 12. Turn with me to that one. But I'm going to read from Matthew quickly as you turn to Romans 12. And you know Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Probably everybody has it memorized. So I'll just read this quickly. Then we'll go to Romans 12. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them, that, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And let me make very clear before I go any further that the fight against abortion or the fight for life isn't anything other than an outworking of evangelism and discipleship for the glory of God. 
Hear that very clearly, because I think as Christians, we oftentimes compartmentalize this fight. Yes, I'm going to make disciples. Yes, I'm going to evangelize. And over here, I'm going to fight against abortion. Not so. It's an entire package. Here is a great mission field in the United States of America, next door neighbor, two blocks down the street, whatever it may be, where you can practice the, the calling been given to you, according to Matthew 28, to make disciples, to evangelize, to preach the gospel, to go to Isaiah uh, 9 that we had talked about, uh, as, excuse me, Isaiah 61 that we had talked about earlier, and be able to proclaim liberty, to proclaim what the gospel can do for those who are bound, for those who are mourning. Now, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let me read it again. Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So if we are to be involved in the fight for life and we see clearly from Scripture that we are to be involved, we see clearly from Scripture that this is an outworking of evangelism and discipleship, the heart attitude, the defining heart attitude that we have got to have as believers is one that is selfless. Because in order to save a life, we must give of our own lives. To have life... We must give of our own lives. We know this, Matthew 16, 24 through 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, selfless, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. This is clear as believers that we are not to go about our daily lives for our own good, our own pleasure. We are not ourselves. We don't do what we always feel like doing. We do what Christ has commanded us to do. So the heart attitude must flow to seeing, wow, what has Christ done for me on the cross of Christ? And may I die to myself the way he died for me in order that I may give life to others. Mothers know this. This is clear for a mother. And next week is Mother's Day. So how appropriate for a mother. She knows that she gives of herself. She lays herself out daily for the life of her children and her family. It is, uh, is easier for a mother to understand this. But we must be the same way. Understanding I... Instead of practically working in this out, instead of doing what I want to do this day, instead of not talking to this person that the Lord seems to be prompting me to talk about, talk to, we're going, instead of not wanting to, not, instead of doing what I want to do, which is not talk or not go down there and talk to those people or, or not read up on this or not go to this place or not speak to my children about this issue. I'm going to do the more difficult thing, the thing that is against my nature, die to myself and proclaim truth in this area. But it's only going to come with an understanding that Christ did this for us. He died himself that we may have life and we must die daily that we may have life in Christ. Christ had compassion. Out of a selfless heart will come compassion. Matthew 9 and then we'll go back to Luke 10 and in there. Matthew 9, Christ looks upon the people in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we know Going back to the verse that we read, the scripture reading Luke 10, the mark of this good Samaritan was that he had compassion. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And you will not be able to have compassion on the lives of the unborn or for the mother who is carrying a life and contemplating the potential of removing that life 
You're not going to be able to have compassion upon her unless you realize Christ has died for you and you must die to yourself. A heart of compassion for the lost, the unborn, the needy must be driven by a heart that has been moved by the glorious work of the cross to die to self. We've been commanded to love our God and to love our neighbor. And who more than our neighbor is, as in this picture of this parable, is the helpless, is the beaten, is the downtrodden. And do we pass by on the other side or do we reach out? And give a hand. And notice he had to give of himself in a great way. He gave of his money. He gave of his time. He gave of his possessions. And what would God call you to do today to give of yourself for this? We must love our neighbor as ourselves. I mentioned a little earlier that the fight against abortion isn't anything other than an outworking of evangelism and discipleship for the glory of God. Think of this. If you are faced with a potential opportunity to communicate the gospel to a mother who is contemplating the removal of life, the murder of the child within her. What is more important? God will take care of this little life that may be aborted, that we may never seen, that we may never see. I have no control over that. But God does call me to be an instrument of the gospel. And if I fail to speak the truth of the gospel to this woman, then the blood is on my hands for eternity. Do you see this? So it's not just physical life. We are called to give spiritual life. To proclaim that to an individual before us. And that would be our call, according to scripture, to be a good Samaritan. To proclaim life to proclaim healing and if we physically cannot do so that does not mean we we stop we proclaim it spiritually so the practical application for the day what do we what do we do what are practical things that we do and i'm going to go through a little bit of a powerpoint here with us here in just a minute but let me make a few quick things Let me first say that you are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And there are different capabilities. There are different passions. There are different energies. There are different uh, seasons of life every one of us are in. So how does a four-year-old be involved in this? To a 29-year-old? To a 50-year-old? How do we, across the board, be involved? Well, first of all, we have to understand that as the body of Christ... We are gifted in different ways. And so what I do may not be what you do. And that is fine. If you don't have the ability because you have young children to go down to an abortion clinic on Saturdays and stand for life, that's fine. What else are you doing? There are many other things. We will show that. So first of all, I want to proclaim that as we go through this, do not be overwhelmed with, well, be overwhelmed with, what has God given me to do? What has what God given me in the way of talents and abilities? And how can I invest those talents and abilities in this area? The first, the first thing I think we have to do before we go to anything practical is within our own minds. And we have to renew our minds on this subject. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We see that clearly. Ephesians 4, 23 through 25. We've got to renew our minds on this subject. Because what goes through our minds is what we normally typically involve our life with. How we spend our time and our energies and our money. If what's on your mind is the lay sports game, that's what you're going to communicate to your friend. If what's on your mind is the work project that you're involved with, that's what you're going to communicate to those you're speaking with. But if this is a burden on my heart and this is, that's const- this is which is constantly going to my mind, I probably in daily conversation will turn this to, hey, I've been thinking about the issue of life. What do you believe on this? What does your church do? Do you have any creative ideas how to be involved with this? We don't normally think about this because it's not something that's on our minds. And when it becomes an issue, it becomes a burden on your heart, it becomes on your mind. It is amazing to see how in just the past few months, since this has become a burden on different people's hearts in this church, how much explosion there has been upon, I've never thought about that. I've never done anything. Wow. And all of a sudden it becomes an issue on their mind. And this is how these things grow.
Fight for Life initiative. So the best way to present this is in sort of a house-shaped, pillar-shaped, coliseum-shaped form. Every one of these pillars stand for something. The roof stands for something. And the foundation stands for something. And I'm going to go through. This is the initiative that the elders of FCF are presenting to you today. And we believe that according to scripture, as we've laid out clearly this morning, that you're to be involved in some way, shape or form. And here's the way we believe uh, would be the seven major issues for you, ways for you to be involved. And under each initiative or under each pillar, or under each uh, aspect of the initiative... Uh, there are multitudes of different ways to support that. So in no way is this a program, but what we're presenting to you is how can you be involved and feel connected as the body of Christ? Because this is often one of the, the downfalls of the Church of America is we're very fragmented rather than seeing how it all works together. And so we go in the church and go, you're sitting on the blue pew and I'm sitting on the red one and we could never get together. Rather than going, we're in the same church and you might be just praying and you might be going to stand, but we're all connected. We're all working on the same thing. We're all in a team. So from, I believe it's left to right, and these are in no way in order of importance, public awareness, public awareness. This would be educating ourselves uh, and engaging the public. Whether it would be in going to a college campus, being trained how to go to a college campus and engage in conversation and debate with these issues. It may be interacting with other churches. Our desire is if this continues to grow and becomes a strong aspect of this church, which I hope and pray that it would, that we would be able to go to other churches and say, what are you guys doing? How are you all doing? Well, we're not really doing anything. Well, here's a pattern that you can use. We're not over your church. You do your thing. But here's a pattern we've used. It's worked successfully. We suggest that you try it. So there's many things that could come underneath public awareness. But that is one pillar of this initiative. Second pillar would be political. There are over at this time 60 bills in, the, in Austin that have to do with the issue of life. Texas is very strong in seeking to through political, through politics, um, being able to move our state to an abortion-free state. Well, how can we be connected to those things? Well, we can call, we can email, we can pray. All of these things are opportunities through political. So that doesn't necessarily mean that if you're feeling gifted in the political realm that you go down to Austin, although that may be part of it, but you may just be picking up the phone or keeping others in contact with how can you pray about specific bills. Front lines. This would be sidewalk counseling and praying. Counseling at a crisis pregnancy center. Setting up and informing others about training. Informing others about upcoming opportunities. Probably the front lines, if you're going to engage in the fight for life against abortion, is going to be one-on-one with a woman who is attempting to remove the life of her unborn child. That would be very much face-to-face with this. So that's why we would call it front lines. This would be going and standing at an abortion clinic. This would be being, this would be being trained how to engage uh, someone in a crisis pregnancy center. Support. This would be in recruiting, managing, equipping volunteers. This would be the liaison to pregnancy centers. Going to the local crisis pregnancy centers, there's one in Kerrville, there's none in Fredericksburg, there's one in Bernie, and there's, I think, three or four in San Antonio. So support would be going to them and saying, how, as a church or Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship, can we support you? Do you need your lawn mowed? Do you need things cleaned? Do you need, what do you need? A very important aspect of the initiative. Fundraising. Certainly things need funds, helping through galas, drives, financial needs, uh, finding out the needs of the local crisis pregnancy centers, being able to meet those needs financially, uh, working with other organizations to raise funds. Now, over the top of all of this, we believe has to be training because it is clear that most Christians 
at some point in their life feel the call to be involved in the fight for abortion and yet they go, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to be involved. I would clam up. What about if they ask me a question I don't know how to answer? Well, that's why we think training is vitally important. So I invite you personally to come next week, Saturday morning, from 10 to 12 to be trained. And this isn't going to be uh, extensive. This will be for the whole family. And you can come and learn simple scriptures to take people to. You do not have to be afraid to proclaim truth in this area because you have the truth. You don't need to be ashamed of the fact that you can use the word of God in this. And you can use it as the smallest child to the oldest adult. It is very clear in scripture and knowing how to use a few simple scriptures. Knowing how to ask a few simple, easily remembered, logical questions. An an acronym or two and you would be set free to engage the majority of the world and probably all of the church of America in how to engage in conversation. So training. The foundation of this initiative, meaning if this foundation is not there, the whole thing crumbles, is prayer. You've got to have prayer. You've got to have it in a very strong way. Let me state quickly from training again that the goal of our training would be to equip the body of Christ to confidently, accurately, boldly, and enthusiastically engage the world and the church in everyday conversations concerning the sanctity of life using the word of God and simple logical questions that reveal the fallacy and equality of human life view in order that God would be glorified in the truth proclaimed. And if that sounds like Greek, then come next Saturday. Prayer. Prayer. There are many ways to be involved in prayer. And more will be given on this in the coming weeks. Specifically next week, I'll give some today. And how you can be involved in prayer. Certainly you can gather your family and pray. Uh, but we were setting up other ways to be actively, uh, have active communication coming in as to how you can specifically pray. Let me go through a few other things that are involved with this. There is a family in our church who are working at this time on putting together a central events website. This issue of the fight against abortion, we are very fragmented on it. And this coalition over here in San Antonio is doing this. And this pregnancy center is doing this. And if you want to go figure out where you can be involved on what today, you have to go to multiple different websites if you can find them to actually discover how to be involved. And so one of the families in our church has been burdened and they're taking on the init- taking on the project um, and taking the initiative to put together a website where all you do is you go there and it's just a calendar and you can see they've gone, done all the work and plugged in all the different things and all the different events that are coming up. If you're a person who uses social media, Twitter, go to at pro-life prayer. This was started by an individual, Stephanie Cohn, in our church who is actively putting out how you can pray and specific ways to pray. And there will be emails that we will be sending out as well, but uh, that's a one way to quickly maintain uh, an understanding of how to pray. Uh, next Saturday, there will be the life awareness training, and I urge you, we will be doing this at other times as well, but I urge you to be there. It will be for the whole family. It will be engaging, and it will be informative. Here, yes, here at the church. Thank you. May 13th, if you're interested in going even deeper, uh, you'd have to RSVP with Mrs. Baird, Heidi Baird, by May 10th. But there will be training with the San Antonio Coalition for Life. Don't get overwhelmed by all these dates. Pray through them, see how you'll be involved, but wanting to put all of this out there for you. May 18th, here in Fredericksburg, there will be a Walk for Life. More information to come with that if you desire to sign up. Uh, the Krauss family will be giving out more information, but they're heading up the logistics of getting our church signed up for the Fredericksburg Walk for Life. There are other ways to be involved. Fathers, I encourage you to go online or do what you need to do to, to obtain one of those little babies that you can get. About 12 weeks old, we have one sitting on the middle of our table at our house. And we, you can engage your children in conversations about this. Because when I got home with it, I pulled it out. It's this big. And I asked my four-year-old and my three-year-old to identify parts of the body. 
And they found the nose and the eyes and the ears and the fingertips at 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Sharon Welch is pregnant at 12 weeks and you can barely tell she's pregnant. My wife is at 8 weeks and yet you can get a heartbeat. It's amazing. Life is in the blood as it says in Leviticus. So you take the opportunity to disciple your children. Make this conversation around the table. Uh, Here's something that was going on in First Light this morning. The bottle drive. This is a great way to get your children involved. Take this home. uh, Talk about it. Pray about it as a family. And gather your change. Let your little children drop in some change and see if you can fill up the whole thing. We desire to support the Bernie uh, Pregnancy Care Center. Crisis Pregnancy Center. So there are many ways to be involved. Uh, And there will be more information given on May 11th here next Saturday as to how each specific aspect of that initiative works together. And we'll introduce you to the people that are going to be in charge of that aspect, the aspect, that particular aspect of the initiative for 2013. You can ask questions. You'll be able to sign up for how to get more involved. It is clear, according to Scripture, that we as a church here, the gathering of the body of Christ at Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship, the Church of America have got to be involved in this issue. We've remained silent way too long. And we've, we must repent of this. It is a sin. Clear in Scripture, we have, we have turned a blind eye. We have been like those two who've passed on the other side, saw the injured and moved out, moved to the other side. And it is time that we repent and we come back to the Scriptures and we obey them. And we become involved. So I encourage you, fathers, heads of households, study these things. Young people, study these things. Go to Scripture. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Repenting and then moving in the gospel of grace to action for His glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you glory for your word. And we do know that this is a weighty matter tough topic and I pray Lord that we would be diligent to study scripture and be motivated by the scriptures to action and as to what that action looks like I pray simply that it is motivated by scripture and I ask Lord thank you for Bill I ask you Father if there's anything that I have said that has angered someone, been disagreeable to someone, that you and your mercy and your grace would not allow them to turn from this issue and not do anything, but rather to turn to Scripture and trust that it is the source of all truth. And we trust, Lord, that you will do a work within us. Father, forgive me for my apathy. And I thank you, Lord, for the grace that comes as we have the ability through the cross of Christ to know that our sins are as far as the east is from the west. We ask for repentance that we might turn and walk in the newness of life in these issues. We give you glory this day. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.